Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Spotcast. This is episode 55. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario. And I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuline in Mississauga, Ontario. Hey, how's it going? And we're also joined by Jaime Lopez Jr. and Mr. and Mrs. Seattle. How's it going? Didn't <laughs> <laughs> come up quite right, did it? Mr. and Mrs. Seattle? Doesn't flow quite as, quite as well. Can we just say home of the Kraken? Home of the Kraken, yeah. yes. Yeah. Right. Ground zero for the coronavirus. <laughs> in the U.S., that is, I should say. All righty. Okay, you know, so I guess you're, we'll you're in ground zero for the, the coronavirus in Canada. Just saying. Yeah. Well, yeah. So yeah, we're, we're getting we're getting our, our, our readiness plan together. If you know what I'm saying, you probably are at your place too. I guess right. Um. Anyway, so as every good corporate citizen should. Mm-hmm. So digging in, uh, we got some fact check from last week. Uh, we were talking about Lone Star and Dark Helmet. I couldn't remember the name of Lone Star, and it was played, of course, by Bill Pullman in the movie of uh, the movie of the name of the film of the Spaceballs, right? And uh, the number one, as I referred to him in the in the same movie, was uh, George Weiner, who played Colonel Sanders, which is not spelt like that. But you can What's just the matter, it. Colonel Sanders? Sanders Chicken. Yes. <laughs> Chicken, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so we had a bit of a discussion last week about the emergency medical hologram last week, and so I've got, I went back and I and I watched this bit just again to, to sort of clarify because we were, you guys were, you guys had point noticed that he changed accents, and I didn't quite notice it that much. Um, probably because I come from the British Isles and they kind of all blend together after a while. Anyway. Um, I just think I just and, heard and a couple million Scotsmen t- screaming. And spoilers uh, for tonight's <laughs> show is is that we have a we have a couple new uh, emergency holograms. Anyway, so Rios um, character the the actor who plays Rios is the, is actually the guy who portrays the the, um, the holograms. I didn't quite catch that at first, but maybe you guys did. But to me, it mm-hmm. just kind of seemed like a strange looking bearded guy. Uh, but it turns out that the emergency hol- medical hologram is has a British accent, and um, because he says to he Rio says to him, you know, a little while later, you are an emergency hologram. And we no longer have a navigational emergency. When he's talking to the Irish version, which is the emergency navigation hologram, which you guys were right about uh, in the in the fact that those were distinguished that way. So. And they're both placed, like I said, Rios, the emergency medical hologram, and the emergency navigational hologram are all played by Santiago Cabrera, actor. And, of course, we found out today, and t- spoilers for those of you who haven't seen the show already, but why are you listening to this podcast? We have a couple more incarnations of, uh, of that, and a little bit of, a little bit of comic humor, but I, I, won't, I won't steal that from Jaime. I'll let him lay that joke out for you. Mm-hmm. Um, we also talked about Hugh, who is the executive director of the Borg Reclamation Program. I mentioned that, and you guys didn't catch this, but I did that last week. All of the Romulans are in the disordered ward, is what they call them. Um, 
I picked up that name from tonight's show actually because I just they mentioned it again on the on the show on this week's episode. And I also talked about we were talking about uh, Mr. Spock and how he was able to sometimes stare into bright things uh, unlike other people. And so the episode I was talking about was is there is no truth in beauty, and it was Diane Muldar who played the um, the Doctor on season two of the Next Generation. She was in Star Trek the original series twice. Um, I think the first time she was as Dr. Miranda Jones and she's the keeper of Kolos and um, in that episode Kirk and McCoy or McCoy discovers that she's actually blind and that's why she's able to deal with this this entity Kolos who nobody can look at because you'll go blind and at one point during the show um, he wants to inhabit Spock's body um, of course, Spock volunteers for, to do that because it's kind of a variation on the mind melt. Puts on a red visor, you know, has uh, Kronos take over his body. But a little while later, when, when Kronos is actually going to go back into his box, he doesn't put the visor back on. So Spock ends up looking into uh, Kronos and going temporarily blind. Hmm. And I think, Jaime, was that the one episode you were thinking of where Spock had this sort of special eyelid or whatever? Yeah, that was my my vague memory of him having. Oh, he's not, you know, blinded for the rest of his life because Vulcans have this other eye defense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. All right, and then uh, Jonathan, you have a follow up as well. Yeah, yeah. You had uh, uh, brought up Tim. You were asking about sort of where certain things will end up from going from the movie theater in 2019 to where they're going to end up on streaming services, and we talked about Jojo Rabbit as one of the examples. So I, I took a quick look to see where Jojo Rabbit was made. It was made by Fox Searchlight, uh, which was one of the subsidiaries of Fox 20th Century Fox, and uh, of course, like many other things, that's been snapped up by Disney. So. Uh, I don't think Jojo Rabbit is likely to turn up on Disney Plus because it does seem a little, I don't know, I haven't seen the film, but it, it seems to be a little less family friendly. It's about Nazis. I don't know. Maybe it is. Um, but I wonder if uh, if that might show up on um, a different platform or where, where it's going to turn up because it doesn't seem to fit the, the milieu of Disney Plus. I don't think, Highlight, uh, Jaime, maybe you can correct us. I don't, I, Hulu doesn't really get movies like that, does it? I don't think so, but I also don't know what the strategy is going to be and how it's going to evolve for Hulu because they, mm. like, you're right. Like, I can't really see uh, Hitler's face right next <laughs> yeah. to the Mickey Mouse icon on Disney Plus, right? That doesn't that doesn't seem likely. So it's it's got to go somewhere. Well, they do have some controversial films. Like I've noticed on the Disney Channel that they do have Disney Plus. I should say they do have some like not like more adult kind of material like uh like questionable material i guess they have all the avengers stuff for instance right you don't want your four-year-old maybe you do want your four-year-old running around watching that stuff but most people don't right um so it's hard to say what whether they'll actually pick this one up what's an interesting note to it i don't know if we put this in the show anywhere but uh, i don't know if you guys have heard that amazon has been going around taking all the swastikas off of the man in high place the man in the high castle um material not the actual show. Off of the promotional material? Yeah, like I heard that they were taking the the posters and and, hmm. and any kind of advertising. for. This. So I went around looking for Man in High Castle on, on Amazon, Amazon Prime and stuff like that, but I hadn't seen any evidence of that. But it was, I thought it was an interesting story that they were doing that, right? Yeah. Especially since it's a pivotal part of the story, right? Yeah, although, again, I think you could – yeah, I, I wonder how you promote – I mean – 
Yeah, I wonder how you promote that without that, because that's sort of the that's the shtick of the thing, is right. What if the Nazis won? Yeah, and it's not the first show like that. Wasn't there a movie like that once too with Rutger Hauer or something like that? Or yeah, I feel like that's been done. I mean, I think that the whole idea of like the path not taken is pretty prevalent in science fiction writing, right? Right, right. Yeah, I think hmm. there is a real special place point taken about. Uh, more mature content the hitler and the nazi uh, imagery is treated very specially at at the very least i'm speaking about this from an american standpoint cannot speak for any other uh, countries and i think it will be largely a matter of time because there are still people alive today who suffered through that regime and yeah uh, i think i had mentioned uh, an episode or two ago when, when asked about, you know, the nine eleven thing, like that's still meaningful to me, but pretty soon there'll be people behind me who it won't be meaningful to just like Pearl Harbor is not super meaningful to me other than as a historic event. So I think time might change some of those feelings there, but I, I don't know. It's, it's hung around for so long and there are people who, you know, don't want to see that imagery. And I think that's why Amazon is probably a little bit um, more careful with it. Um, than they might be with other things. Who knows? Yeah. But I think that's where it's coming from. Interesting, too, I was just thinking about this, is that um, Home Alone 2 has been on TV quite a lot lately, and for, obviously because it's a Christmassy movie. And uh, it was just replaying the other day, and I happened to catch the scene where, where I was just doing some channel surfing, and I saw the scene where Kevin McAllister goes up the, the World Trade Center. Yeah. And he's at the top of the World Trade Center, you know, look, looking through the... Uh, the microscope or binoculars there so mm-hmm. something you're not gonna you have to explain to somebody what that scene is in the future right well and there's a scene uh with with now u.s president donald trump right as well in that movie where he's he's trying to come out of the hotel and he runs into to trump i cannot recall the context so uh, you know i'm sure we can yeah, it was something about if you want to film in Trump Tower, you have to. I have to be in the movie. Was the story? Yeah, and then apparently over the holidays, the CBC broadcast that movie and cut the Trump portion out. Yeah, they claim it was to get it in to, to shorten the the movie to get in 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 like they cut a few scenes out of the movie. In order yeah, to, to get it to fit in within with commercial time, right? But that's a good story too, though. Yeah, well, <laughs> you'd have to think somewhere in there that a CBC editor was having you'd like. It would, there had to be an in joke there too, right? Yeah, ha ha ha! I just cut the U.S. president out of the movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, hmm. I always thought it was a funny scene, anyway. To be honest, I mean, not funny, funny, yeah. funny, peculiar to yeah. have in the movie. But. Yeah. All right, moving on. Let's do some headlines. Headlines. Yeah, I, I feel like I knew this one was coming. I really wish I'd said it on the show so it'd be for the record. But the Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Is, is quite the name, and usually it's shortened to just Birds of Prey, and it turns out that that doesn't, uh, that doesn't mark it too well. People are like, what's this Birds of Prey? Wasn't that like a TV show like a while ago? Um, so now they have renamed it to Harley Quinn Birds of Prey because people know who that is, uh, especially because of uh, Margot Robbie's portrayal of the character. So they in this article, they... Um, they make reference to Edge of Tomorrow, also known as Live, Die, Repeat, that also suffered from a a name that didn't really explain the concept so well and, and doesn't, you know, sort of uh, catch you, like Live, Die, Repeat. Like, oh, 
what's that movie about right yeah i, I even trolled y'all in in our own private slack channel and uh, <laughs> <laughs> what's this movie in this magazine that i saw at the grocery store i don't know what that movie yeah. is birds of prey nobody's heard of that that's right well, as the fine owner of like uh, 150 Birds of Prey comic books, I guess uh, I'm I'm the the one that they were targeting, and yet I still haven't gone and seen it either. Um, it's it's a good strategy, I guess. It, I last I heard they had made the change in the United States, but they hadn't made it here. I don't know if that has happened now, but um, it's um, it's kind of a strange thing. I mean, the marketing for it has been very Harley centric, very Margot Robbie centric, so even just recognizably like you'd think that that would have clicked but uh but apparently not so you want to do the next one tim you should you i think you get bragging rights on the next one. Oh, <laughs> yeah i called it <laughs> um well no i mean i in in the same way that i thought hillary clinton would win the uh, american election last year or two years ago or whenever it was four years three years ago yeah um I was hoping that Parasite would do well. I think I still think it was one of the better movies, if not the best movie I saw last year. I saw it at the Toronto Film Festival, and I don't remember how I got a ticket. I think it was like a last-minute purchase because um, I was having a real hard time getting tickets because I got in late to the festival. But, um, yeah, it was amazing when I saw it, and uh, I haven't seen it. I saw it the one time, and, and even still, just in that one viewing. And, and you know how I feel about movies with subtitles. I mean, not that I have anything against foreign films. It's just I find it tiresome to have to read um, subtitles when you're trying to pay attention to what's on the screen. Um, but, yeah, this was this was a, a really great movie. And uh, amazing that it won not only, I think it won, what, three or four Oscars? Four, um, yeah four like it won uh, adapted screenplay i think right or yep. original screenplay yeah um it won best director yeah best won international film best, yeah best international film which is a renaming for this year uh to sort of rather than just call it foreign film which is kind of a you know not quite fair mm -hmm. um best yeah and then and then went into win best film of all right so or best mm -hmm. uh, best film of the year um, which is amazing you know yeah. um I mean, I, I think the last time I saw a movie like that was like that uh, the one with um, Kim Bessinger, um, American something or other. Russell Crowe and... Uh, L.A. Confidential? L.A. Confidential, thank you, that's the one. Yeah. Yes, L.A. Confidential is a great movie, I love that one. Yeah, yeah, so, but uh, what I meant was like when I when I came out of the movie, I kind of thought, hmm, this is a really good movie, just like that kind of was a really good movie, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, what do you and guys think? Again, having not seen Parasite, I don't really have an opinion on that, although I think I'm grateful for the fact that, um, you know, it does seem like a progressive step. So kudos for that. Um, I think it's worth mentioning also the a couple of the other winners, particularly one we talked about here, that uh, Joaquin Phoenix won for his performance, uh, best, best Actor for uh, The Joker. And um, that was sort of the big sort of uh, genre comic booky thing that happened uh as well uh, and then gave a very serious speech very serious that guy a very serious actor mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah well it, it, i think i mentioned at the time that it, it is worth seeing the movie i found you know I, I found it a little bit uh you know the joker trope now that we've had you know um heath ledger obviously phenomenal performance and then um Jared Leto as well, right? And Jack Nicholson's performance and is Jack pretty Nicholson iconic too. too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so they, they and well, see, you can even throw Cesar Romano into that mix too, right? But, Romero, Romero. Romero, sorry. 
And his mustache, too. And his mustache, too. But, um, you know, so so winning an Oscar for that style of performance, you know, I mean, it was he was it was a good performance, but it was a bit like and, I, and maybe maybe it was part of Todd Phillips sort of style because he does sort of mirror um, Scorsese's, you know, uh, King of Comedy in a sense, too. There's there's a little bit of that in there. Have you seen the movie yet, John? No, no, no. It's, okay. it's all on my to do list. Yeah, I mean, it was great to see it in the theater because there's some really, you know, panoramic, spectacular shots that are in the movie, like very well, you know, uh, laid out kind of thing. Um, somebody pointed out that uh, his uh, dance on the stairs is very similar to Bono in Zoo TV. Oh, yeah? Yeah, you remember how the character, the, I forget what he called that guy with the, the with fly. The glasses. Didn't he call him the fly? The fly. The fly, yeah. When he comes out at the beginning of the show and he's you know, waving his arms and kicking his feet up in the air. That's the same, if you look at the dance that he does in, in Zoo TV uh, <laughs> concert tour, um, the Joker does the same thing. So it's kind of, so anyway, <laughs> maybe, are they paying tribute to that? I don't know, but. Um, Interesting. Have you seen the Joker yet, Hame? I have, and it's it's a very strange film because I don't know how well, it plays as a like superhero movie because it's very non-traditional that way it's definitely not an uplifting movie it's a very very sad movie watching somebody's descent into madness and i i do think that uh, joaquin phoenix did a real solid job with that and so I, I definitely agreed with the best actor for my own personal preferences yeah it is definitely a good movie from that point of view and i guess like like uh i mean it, it kind of got hammered from Scorsese in terms of fact, or I think it was Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola, I think, were saying that they didn't think these comic book movies were real movies, you know, sort of things. But, um, I mean, Jonathan's been telling me for years since I met him that, you know, that graphic novels are to be taken seriously, right? So, um, and they are, right? Well, at a point you've got to respect the, you know, the writing is good writing whether it's good writing for a comic book good writing for a, a magazine good writing for you know newspaper good writing for a novel it's good writing what's the difference about filmmaking right if you yeah, put exactly. talented people in good roles there the cream will rise so I, I did see parasite i definitely recommend people watch that so i'm curious did you see it in english or did you or did you see it with subtitles no, subtitled i prefer i prefer original language and subtitles yeah, I just I wonder because I've seen some commercials for it where they've dubbed the voices, they've dubbed it over with an English speaking voice, right? Um, which is that, is that just for commercial purposes though? Maybe, maybe, maybe to get people into this because I mean I think they did mention at the at the Oscars. I think maybe one of the exception speeches that that it's amazing that people are actually you know accepting of a movie that is not is in its native tongue, right? And with with subtitles. Yeah, I mean it's funny because I mean even even still like. I remember watching it in 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 the theater, and everybody kind of getting the joke at the same time, even though it was out of time with the actual performance on the screen. Right, like if somebody said something funny, you know, everybody kind of read it at the same speed or whatever, and we all kind of you know guffawed at the same time. Which so it was very you know that whole tribal movie going experience still worked even with the subtitles, right? So yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm curious because I know that I know that Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon also, which also won for Best Picture. I believe, right? Um, didn't it? I was under the, the impression... The sound of three men reaching for their phones. 
<laughs> anyway, you guys look it up. But I remember in the theater, seeing I saw that a couple of times in the theater, and that was you know in the original Mandarin and one for best international subject. feature film or best foreign oh, film okay, at that right. point, but didn't didn't win best picture. Okay, okay. So, but it did win an Oscar, but mm-hmm. um, which is what I remember. But when it came out on on DVD, you could switch it over to you know English, so you could understand the language without having to read the subtitles, right? So. Because that again was another amazing visual movie with you know with good story right but uh, and Captain Giorgio was in that one mm-hmm. she was yeah. Parasite to me when people have asked me I said all right the best way I can describe the filmmaking is acknowledge the fact that it's it's not a horror film per se but imagine if Jordan Peele was Korean and it has that sort of feel to it like it, it would fit like you know in a 3 DVD box with us and get out yeah and bong jun ho's i mean like we we've talked on this pod before about snowpiercer right like that's that you know you could see that this person was a very talented uh filmmaker like it, he didn't come out of nowhere right Right. Yeah, it's interesting. Edgar Wright also posted on uh, Twitter, and maybe I'll find a link for the show notes, but uh, he posted on Twitter saying, you know, it's not it, like it, it is a great movie, obviously, but he listed a whole bunch of Korean films that you should go back and watch, right? Just to sort of see how their their whole industry has has grown up over the last while. He lists like maybe 12 or 13 over a series of three or four tweets, you know, and, and I don't know about you, but I respect Edgar Wright's opinion a lot. So mm-hmm. the other thing uh, that I wanted to say that, it was interesting that I picked up on that you were talking about there, Tim, was uh, the renaming of the award to Best International Feature Film. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. It seems strange to me because that feels like it's less descriptive of what the award is than foreign film. Well, like, I understand people are getting probably kind of hung up on the word foreign and foreigner, I suppose. Uh, so here's my question to you then. Does that mean that an American film could win that award? That was going to be my my lawyer moment of like, is is the United States not international or considered a part <laughs> international? I mean, your international is less descriptive. You have an than, international house of pancakes too. Come on. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, all right. So foreign film, you know, foreign sounds, I suppose, offensive to some, but I'm like, it is foreign to hollywood that's sort of the the idea there right like um i don't know i feel like they need to they need to rename it again to something you know non-hollywood film so they should just they should just call well, it so that. going back to going yeah, back what to about the stuff script? they film in toronto is that still a hollywood film is that yeah. where, does the depends on where the money comes from yeah well yeah. but even then like there are people who are financing movies uh, you know, our Canadian government finances, maybe. Well, that's it. And, and media the credit, China, tax there's credit. Chinese nationals who are funding a lot of movies right now, right? Yeah, true, yeah. True. I mean, come on. I mean, you'll <laughs> get no argument here that maybe the you know ten cent funded movies shouldn't qualify. You know, like Transformers and other things. Like maybe they shouldn't qualify. They should be yeah. shoved into that international feature film category. Well, it's it's sort of along the same lines of like I think it, I, I was sure at one point that they dropped best actress as a title there, or they were talking about it because you know like it's kind of best actor who happens to be a woman, you know, kind of role. Like, yeah, I think it's a, a terminology has certainly been spreading. There are a lot of women in Hollywood who refer themselves. Uh, refer to themselves as actors now, yes, but exactly. and comedian, comedian uh, yeah, yeah, comedian versus comedian, and all the all the sort of you know gender appropriated things. 
Um, but I don't think they've made any official changes at that level. But the, um, yeah, I was thinking that as I was watching the thing, uh, the, the Oscars the other night, I was thinking, I wonder if we would ever get to a point in time where gender just doesn't become a factor and we nominate the 10 best performances. I mean, really, what happens if down the road we end up with, uh, people who are, you know, non-binary gendered? True. It, it gets really tricky and it'll be good if we ever get to that point as a society, the, the unfortunate near-term consequence if they ever uh, dissolved it or I guess combined it into a singular best actor award is I would worry that we'd end up with the same situation we had uh, this year with uh, best director where like no women were nominated. Right. Yeah, I guess you, you could expand the category women. too. Yeah, yeah, you could expand the category like they did with the best picture too. Instead, instead of having five best actors and five best actresses, you could have ten best actors and have them be of whatever gender they identify as. Right, right. But they tried that in the previous years where they had multiple, um, like ten movies were nominated for best picture, and that was just a nightmare, right? In terms of like which one could possibly win. Well, like I mean, said, the, the expansion yeah. that they did, right? They they expanded from it was traditionally it was five best picture nominees, and then there was a lot of blowback because they weren't nominating anything that anybody outside of you know Hollywood were really watching a lot of. They weren't nominating mainstream films, and so they expanded it to up to ten, just so that they could include the the Dark Knights and and things like that to to appease the masses. Um, but then. How many of those movies have won since then? Like one? Yeah. It, like it was a nutty rings? overreaction of like five might have left a, oh, who got snubbed on the border, you know, borderline ones. But you needed like six or seven total to accommodate for that. You really didn't need 10. Yeah. And yeah. they don't have to do 10. It's it's up to 10. So there's been years where it's 10 and there's years where it's nine and whatever. But it's also it's just it's hollywood branding too right that way on you know that many on demands and apple uh I, you know itunes and all the other services you can say it was an oscar nominated picture it, you know it really oscars is really just a brand right true, true it's a brand of quality i think i think can we say that is a brand of quality i guess it's a reputable well brand. yeah i think i think that's and that's probably in in uh joaquin phoenix's exception speech he kind of questioned you know what the whole academy not not naming the academy but naming the the people who in that room who have the voices as he said to 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 lift and make change in society right like i think he was sort of alluding to the fact that there weren't any women directors nominated mm -hmm. you know there weren't a lot of um actors of color involved right like mm -hmm. so uh, and also uh, chris rock's classic uh, line in his non-host uh thing where he talked about the fact that their the vaginas are missing right that's right it's something missing from all the directors this year vaginas yeah vaginas yeah 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 and well i guess we'll leave it with this one too a friend of mine told me this joke today which i hadn't heard till you know and it took me a minute of course because i'm slow that you know even though the oscars had no ho had no host this year parasite still won <laughs> <laughs> bravo <laughs> I think I told it wrong, but whatever. You get the you get the idea. All right, let's move on to 
Uh, well, staying with an Oscar theme, uh, just a couple more things that were interesting notes. So um, this one I thought was really interesting. And this was just came from a tweet, which I thought was really, you know, astute. But it pointed out that uh, so Avengers Endgame obviously was the biggest blockbuster last year. It was not um, uh, it was not lauded greatly from the Oscars. It was considered obviously, a, you know, a popcorn movie, um, but it was nominated for Best Visual Effects. Uh, which it lost to 1917, which uh, I have not seen 1917, and I, I do want to see that. It does look like an excellent movie, but I did find that somewhat surprising. Um, but in losing that, it became the highest grossing movie of all time uh, that didn't win a single Oscar. Um, mm. And so any movie that has come out and claimed the title of highest grossing film of all time and, you know, uh, there's a list here and we'll have it in our show notes. Um, you know, Gone with the Wind, Sound of Music, Godfather, Jaws, Star Wars, E.T., Jurassic Park, Titanic, Avatar. Um, all nine of those that came out in the year they came out, zoomed to the top of the all-time box office list. They all won at least one Oscar. And Avengers Endgame, right. which is now the all-time highest grossing movie, uh yeah, one none. Wow, crazy. Yeah, I, I honestly, I can't. Uh, I mean, again, I, I'm sure the effects for 1917 are fantastic. Um, Sam Mendes is a great filmmaker, and, and I expect the quality to be very high. But, man, some of those scenes at Endgame, it's amazing to think that that, that wasn't the winner because uh, some of those scenes were dazzling. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't. I mean, there was not one visible guy wire or piece of two by four pushing out somebody, you know, like there was. Yeah. Like from that, it was visually stunning. Like yeah. you know, every single scene, right? Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. I did. It's the closest thing that I've ever seen to it, like a comic book come to life. Like those scenes towards the end when it's sort of the good versus evil, and the you know they're just these two armies coming at each other, and you know that it's obviously large portions of it are, are computer generated. It's still it's breathtaking. Anyways, yeah, I thought that was an interesting note, and this is the other thing that I saw from the Oscars that made me just laugh. Um, so uh, the day after the Oscars, uh, many people were online pointing out that, uh, Kelly Marie Tran had a little intro to do when she was on the Oscars and they added it up and she actually had more lines in the Oscars than she did in the star Wars episode nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was on screen and the Oscars for maybe a minute, which is really funny. And they said the timing was actually pretty close too. she actually, uh, she was on 80 seconds of star Wars, uh, episode nine. Right. And wow. yeah. So again, it's, it's, it's obviously it's, you know, it's a little bit catty to, uh, to point that out, but I thought that was a really funny follow up to people saying, you know, it's funny that this, this actress who kind of got, uh, hacked out of star Wars. Uh, got more screen time when she came to present an Oscar. Well, it's funny that because you're, you're right. I, immediately, as soon as I saw her, I thought, "Oh, there she is, looking. She's actually on the show." And you know, after after what happened at the uh, the Star Wars Oscars, but yeah, yeah. Hmm. All right, she didn't get a medal either. Though, but I just want to point that out. Yeah, they'll uh, they'll, they'll rectify that in th- forty two years. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right, what's next? Uh, I got another one here with... Uh, so Sony is still continuing to produce Marvel-related movies. They, of course, own the rights to Spider-Man and associated characters. Uh, and while they have a deal to uh, continue to put Spider-Man in, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they are pushing forward with other movies. They have uh, Morbius, which is a uh, vampire... Uh, character from Spider-Man that's going to be coming out later this summer, uh, speaking of Jared Leto. And they're also going to have Venom 2 later this year. It's coming out in October. Um, but they announced this week that they put a movie on their slate for uh, October 8th, 2021, and they have not said what it is. Uh, so we know that in July of 2021, so that's obviously next summer, they're going to be putting out the third spider-man movie that they've co-created with uh marvel cinematic universe uh sequel to spider-man far from home and uh now we've got this other one on the slate but they haven't said what it is so this has got lots of people speculating on what from that universe they might do next um a couple things that i've heard and uh, my own speculation so uh they've talked about uh doing uh, Black Cat, Silver Sable. They've talked about doing Sinister Six, which is uh, Spider-Man's villains. And uh, I wonder if it might be a sequel to um, Spider-Man Enter the Spider-Verse. So either way, interesting that this is sort of this this hold in your calendar for next October. Uh, wondering what that will be. So this is 2020 this is coming out? No, 2021. 20, 2020, yeah. they have uh, Morbius and yeah. Venom 2. And then next mm -hmm. year, they've got Spider-Man 3, new Spider-Man 3. And then they've got yeah. whatever this is. Right, gotcha. All right. And, any wish list items, Jaime? Yeah, I, I went down the Sinister Six route, and I was thinking that Doc Ock, especially if it hinted at all at the superior Spider-Man mm -hmm. as a possible future, um, maybe Vulture? Um, and then I, I, I ran short cause I was like, mm, I don't think you'd really do anything with like Rhino. I don't think you can hold a whole movie, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder what they're going to do. I, I personally, again, my wish list is, uh, top of my wish list is a sequel to Spider-Man into the, uh, into the Spider-Verse. That was a mind-blowingly good movie. I thought yeah, that's um, kind of what yeah. I was thinking too, yeah. but I'm not. Well, the problem is those kind of movies take a while, too. So that might be a little True. ambitious to get that out by next fall. I think we might be looking at 2022 just because it takes a while to make something of that caliber. Okay. And the last thing I've got in here is um, that we've got another uh, main actor hired to be on Marvel's uh, Marvel's Disney Plus series, Loki. Uh, Gugu Matha Mbatha Ra, uh, who is on the um, the morning show on... Apple Plus, Apple Plus, is that what? Apple right. Plus uh, is going to be joining the cast. Obviously, uh, starring alongside Tom Hiddleston is going to be Loki, and uh, we, we we talked about last week. Owen Wilson is obviously signed on as well. Uh, wow! And so yeah, we've got another star. It'll be interesting to see who they have her playing. There's no listed person who she's going to be. Um. So that's. It'll be interesting to see how who, who they're going to make her do. Um, fans of our world will probably re remember her from uh, the San Junipero episode of uh, Black Mirror. Mm, okay. It's Apple TV Plus, by the way. It, uh, Apple TV you Plus. Your phones. Apple TV Plus. Sorry. My yeah, apologies. So it, yeah. Yeah. So I could say something about the morning show relative to her, but I, I won't spoil it for people who haven't seen it yet. 
That would probably be best. Yes, let's put it that way. Okay. Jaime, got something? Yeah, I'm so glad that I saw this while I was eating dinner tonight. So mm. the new the- teaser video has come out with Robert Pattinson's Batman. So mm. we got our first look of him in the bat suit. Really? Isn't there a sort of an age requirement for Batman? Well, I suppose it depends what they do, right? Because I was thinking this would be like Batman year one kind of era. Where like he's just getting started out, maybe. Hmm. And Pattinson's not as young as I think we think he is. Uh, I mean, he's got to be in his 30s. Like, what's... Well, that's what I mean. Like, like so when, when um, Keaton and Kilmer and Clooney and those guys all played Batman, were they all sort of around the, roughly around the same age or... I think so. I mean, there certainly have been older ones. I mean, Ben Affleck's in his 40s for sure. And he was Batman as recently as, what, two years ago? Right, Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's necessarily an age limit. Although the the talk was for this version of it that they were going to do uh, more sort of the Dark Knight detective, a little more sort of back to that era. Yeah. it seems obviously unlikely that that's what they're doing given this, but... Um... Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, trying to describe how the thing looks. So the, it looks like more like body armor, uh, mm-hmm. a little bit more like obvious plating that makes up the, the suit. The cowl is not like fully integrated down into the cape. There's actually a little bit of a, a, like a collar, it looks like, mm-hmm. when you look at it. And fans who are much more astute than I have pointed out that the the bat symbol that's on the chest um one i should say it it doesn't have like a head it's kind of more stylized it's more like a like just the wings sort of sense Mm -hmm. and people have pointed out that there is a batman story in the comic books and i think it's called manufacturer for use which shows batman taking the actual gun that killed his parents mm-hmm. melting it down or destroying it and turning it into the symbol on his chest that would protect him yeah we talked about that uh, that was from the detective comics 1000 issue that uh, came out last year uh kevin smith wrote that oh really huh mm-hmm. yeah it, it to me when i looked at the the pictures and the, the little video that they put online it's about a one minute video it uh i mean it's dark it's obviously it's not crystal clear but it looks uh, it looks very much more like that sort of throwback style it looks very sort of 1940s noir sort of era kind of version of that um again i think well obviously we'll see more of it but uh i don't i don't have any objections there's no nipples i think that's a win (laughs) that's a huge win (laughs) did i ever tell you the story that when i was six was the first time I ever saw television and it was in my grandfather's house and I was only allowed to watch one TV show a week. Did they were ahead Batman? of their time. Huh? They were ahead Did of their time. Batman? Sorry. So, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I chose Batman. Adam West Batman was the, was the show I, cho- I chose to watch. I think I must've seen other shows or cause I knew about, I knew about the Thunderbirds and stuff like that at the time too. But yeah, that was, that was my, my, you're allowed to watch one show. This is it. <laughs> yeah, hmm. a long yeah. time ago. Jaime's right, though. It's the pioneers and limiting screen time. Alrighty, so here we are. The main purpose of this show is to talk about this week: Star Trek Picard, season one, episode four, Absolute Candor. And uh, so this week, I think Jaime is going to do the uh, the play by play, and uh, Jonathan and I will do the color interruptible commentary. 
Yeah, feel free to jump in. You guys will see where I'm at. Um, so we start out this episode 14 years ago on planet Vashti and the Beta Quadrant, which is the... It's significant they always start 14 years ago, you know? It's got a lot of... Uh, show you in a flashback what happened so you understand the relevance for the current time. So they, they set us there in the Beta Quadrant on planet Vashti in the uh, Romulan relocation hub where... Picard visits a Romulan nunnery that houses a young boy named Elnor. They have a little bit of, you know, reconnection there. It's it's clear that they, they know each other. And uh, a quote that I have here is about uh, promises are prisons. When Elnor asks for a very specific uh, sort of favor from, from Picard. Uh, and we see some more of, of Picard's relationship with the child where, um, you know, he teaches the boy to fence and... Uh, we, we've also learned that the, the candor part is, is very similar in my head to the um, Divergent series. If anybody's ever read those books or seen the movies where uh, unlike typical Romulan uh, culture, that's like all about secrecy, just like um, Laris told us about in a previous episode. Uh, these folks live quite the opposite where everything is out there in the open. If they have a thought, they will think it and say it directly to you. Thus, thus the absolute candor. Um, so it's in this this sort of scenes where Picard learns about the attack by the synths. Um, and so he has to leave to deal with the, the fallout of that. And that's a, you know, a huge bummer for Elner, who, you know, from what we can tell, sort of seems to have this uh, father figure-like attachment to, to Picard. Even though, as uh, one of the nuns says, you know, Picard doesn't like children. He finds them this huge bother right yeah and uh, then we switch to the present day where uh rios and gerardi are on uh, la sirena and they're chatting about you know hey it's kind of weird you you like these paper books what are you reading i used to to live with a guy who who liked books and it was my father and rios apparently is reading um a book that that sounds pretty depressing it's about the existential pain of the consciousness of death <laughs> so a real light reading right before bed, I'm sure. Um, and then next we see uh, Picard entering the hollow matrix where it, it kind of looks like he's at the chateau, but it's, it's all just a holographic illusion. And we meet the Mr. Hospitality hologram, which has a distinct Southern accent. So this is another version of Rios as hologram that uh, has a, a different accent. So I think unlike the last time we were a little unsure between uh, e M H and E N H. If we heard it correctly, and the the differences um, between you know British and Irish accents, the Southern accent definitely stuck out. And I think right there, I was like, "All right, this is going to be a thing." There's, there's a theme here with all of these different, uh, all of these different um, uh, like self avatars that have different voices. Uh, and somewhere in here in my notes, I put that uh, Rafi Rios. Gerardi and Picard discuss the, uh, the the insane idea of going to Vashti. So Rafi's totally against it. And he's like, what are you doing? That's not a good idea. Um, Rios points out that there's a, uh, like a pirate or brigand of some sort who's named Car Kentar, who got a hold of an antique bird of prey, Romulan bird of prey, that would be, and is running wild, you know, so causing, causing a little bit of trouble, stirring up stuff space and we learn more about the uh they 
the quote the Romulan rebirth movement. Mm-hmm. I don't recall if that was ever solidified anywhere here, but they at least well, they're sort of they're sort of anti anti federation kind of group. I think you know, like the like the logic extremist kind of idea. That was the impression I got. Did they distinctly point out to individuals or what this was about? No, they just talked about the some some of the the dangers of going to this this now abandoned. Um, yeah, it's the relocation hub. Yeah, relocation. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah, and they um, they don't make express reference to it, but they do make a point later in the episode when Picard sees a group of sort of armed men uh, of highlighting that the the insignia that they have on their shoulder, right, which yeah. I think that is supposed to be the tip of, uh, of signifying these are members of that movement. Right. And the other thing they mentioned in there, Jaime, is the the this territory, while it also has the warlord, is Fenris Rangers territory. Um, but they never really express what the Fenris Rangers are, although they, they mention them a few times in this episode as sort of the protectors of this era, this uh, territory of space. Right, right. And uh, we also learn that the um, the nuns we saw before are actually Romulan warrior nuns. Yeah. The Kowat Milnat or something similar. It's really hard to, to catch the yeah, name. Kowat Malat. Hmm? Kowat Malat. Kawat Melat, yeah. <laughs> and apparently those uh, those warrior nuns are enemies of the Tal Shiar. Right. So that's that's an interesting little bit of history that I'm sure will come to come to play as as we go through things. And then we switch scenes all together and locations all together, and we're back on the board cube and the reclamation project, and uh, Soji's watching a video of Ramda, the individual she went to go meet last time, who was previously uh, Borgified and not anymore but as tim pointed out was in the what did you call it what what kind of ward was it disordered ward yeah yeah disordered and uh ramda is talking about some something that's basically the equivalent of uh you know the end of the world ragnarok i think they call it ganmadan the annihilation of all life yeah the day of annihilation right right so even more sort of you know mystery and intrigue around this this prophecy and how it relates in any way sort of to to the synths and they they make another reference to the term the destroyer too which we heard last episode yeah and i wish i typed down the name it was like (laughs) it's not echeb from voyager but it's a very similar sounding name it's like cheb something uh yeah i think i have it written down from last week's episode you call it the cheb yub yub oh yeah you You are the the wed chineb Web Chineb, yes, that sounds similar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but the, yeah, she makes the same reference where she says this this day of annihilation will be brought about by the destroyer. And that makes uh Soji's ears perk up, having just been accused of being said destroyer. Yeah. yeah. Uh so we we come back to the crew of La Sirena and they've arrived at Vashti, which has a security grid that that was what's purchased, so it's uh, keeping folks out except for very small windows that allow for uh, communication and possibly transport. Um, apparently, using Picard's name did not impress the people of Ashdi at all. And they were like, no, go away. We're not going to let you in. But uh, it's implied that maybe they could bribe someone. And I'm not clear if that's what happened here because Picard just beams his way straight up in there. So Yeah, they did say you need a cash gift might go a long way. Yeah, so they implied, but didn't actually show any sort of, you know, greasing of palms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Such as it may be. 
I think the smile on Rios's face is supposed to indicate that that was the solution. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, so Picard, is, you know, kind of tries to say hello to people in, in Romulan and isn't getting a whole lot of, of love. And he sees the, the aforementioned um, people hanging out at like a, like a Romulans only cafe. And uh, Picard goes to, to see the nuns and he meets a now, you know, much older grown man, a uh, young man, Elnor. And uh, that's all I wrote about that scene because now <laughs> we can, we switch back over to the cube and we see uh, Ramda unconscious there, and, and Soji's attending, and, and Narek comes along and, and schemes and woos, as he is wont to do. And he and, and Soji end up doing a ritualistic Borg ice skating <laughs> on one sort of weird, uh, very cold, I suppose, slick area of the cube. Are right. they supposed to be, like, sliding on their socks like kids do? Is yes. That yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sock sliding, sliding, yeah. Ice skating, but it's probably more like ice dancing, I guess, would be yeah. more appropriate since the Olympics are coming. The wrong Olympics, <laughs> but the Olympics, nevertheless, are coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, and this gets to, to kind of an interesting point of, like, who knows what here, where Narek, who's Romulan, points out that, uh, you know, it's kind of weird that, that humans, uh, you know, have normal passenger manifest stuff is like clear and open and uh, hey um this ship called the ellison that you supposedly uh boarded some years ago you weren't on the manifest so he's like what are you talking about i totally remember doing that and i think we know right that like yeah that it would make sense that she wasn't on there because she was born roughly three-ish years ago, right? And everything she knows right, about herself yeah. and all her memories are, are a lie to her. Um, but it, it seems like Narek, you know, not only knows that, but is sort of poking and prodding at the, you know, how much does she know about her true self sort of thing. It's a couple of good little moments in that scene, too, where she uh, starts with the two of them sitting down together and uh, she's sitting there with uh, Ramda, right? And she says, you know, when Ramda looked at me, I feel, I felt seen. And then he puts his hand on hers and it delivers the most cheesy line. I see you. So <laughs> which do ladies, if any dude ever says that to you run, just run the opposite direction. Um, <laughs> and then she afterwards says, uh, she sort of is trying to figure out who he is and what his deal is. And she says, you know, you come and go as you please. You get to do whatever you want are you Tal Shiar? And he says, no. And she says, well, if you were Tal Shiar, would you still say no? And he says, yes. Um, and of course, it's the perfect lie because he's Jafaj, not Tal Shiar, right? You mm, ask the wrong right. question, you get the wrong answer. Right. But yeah, Indeed. some interesting little... There, it, it pays off a little bit further, uh, further again in this episode, too, where, you know, like... We're supposed to think that he is playing her and she's the ingenue, but clearly they're kind of both playing each other a little bit too right as his, his sister points out right mm-hmm. yeah 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 that that will that sister will in air quotes because we haven't really established that that's true either yeah, right. i don't know if it's sister or what but it's a little gross is what it is um so we, we go back into space the or i guess a different part of space and we get warning that the the bird of prey kentar has is is coming so you know things need to hurry up real quick um I think here is probably where Picard learns that uh, Elnor and the and the nun the nunnery, which is you know supposed to be all women warriors, um, he 
he'll never be one of them because, you know, he's a man, but he is effectively one in terms of his ability to fight and being, you know, just sort of a awesome fighter in general. Um, and, uh, you know, it's time to roll, but there's like seven minutes between uh, now and the next window that it can open up for, for folks to be beamed out. So Picard decides to uh, go cause some trouble at the saloon is what, <laughs> what it felt like. Right? Kicks he, down he, the he, sign and stomps on it. Yeah. Yeah. And he comes in and he goes and sits down. He's like, hey, waiter, bring me some stuff, you know. And, oh, hey, how's it going? And, and this one former Romulan senator um, comes over and explains, you know, you know, I saw you. I I saw you when you came and, and spoke to the Senate and talked about how the magnanimous Federation was going to help us. And then they didn't. And you punked out. And uh, yeah, things are looking bad for Picard. The the Romulans, you know, sir, you know, buddies there surround Picard and they've all got swords and like, you know, we're going to we're going to sword fight, which Picard, you know, initially refuses. But they they throw the blade in such a way that he has basically no choice but to catch it or watch it bounce off his face mm -hmm. and uh picard does a, a little bit of you know fencing sword play as, as we know the character is is uh, skilled in uh, but he's a much older man so he's definitely not in a in a good way here and so uh elner shows up and uh and saves the day by just straight up ninja murdering uh a couple guys uh, including the 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 main Romulan senator guy, just you know beheading the guy, and and, and really good detail. His skin, uh, sorry, not his skin, his blood was green as mm -hmm. it sort of oozed out when his head fell off. Well, he did give the guy a chance. He said, like you know, stand down or you're going to die, and and uh, the guy doesn't, and Elnor feels he has no choice but to lop his head off. Right? It's yeah. true. Takes his head true. off and then says, "I I regret your choice." Yeah. Uh, that was a great line. I regret so, your choice. I'm not paying five ninety nine a month to see you guys talk it out and have feelings. No, I want to see a guy get ninja. <laughs> Katana chopped across the neck. Yeah. yeah. Um, so so Elmer is now uh, bonded to Picard as uh, Kalinkar, which uh, was brought up earlier. That you know the the nun warrior group they bond themselves to to a, a worthy sort of journey, which I guess I, I overlooked the fact that uh, Picard had tried to convince Elnor earlier mm -hmm. in talking about uh, Lieutenant Commander Data and you know, basically sort of recapping the story as we know it so far and, and trying to convince him that, hey, this is a worthy cause. Um, we get Spot, Data's orange cat, name dropped. So that was mm -hmm. kind of nice to, to hear that. Um, and uh, as you'd expect, Elnor's a little PO'd that he was left behind and storms off right yeah it, there's definitely a theme so far in this this series that picard um really dropped the ball with regard to maintaining friendships and connections it seemed like mm -hmm. when he left starfleet um he more or less closed himself off from everybody except the uh the tal shiar buddies on uh, on the chateau is what it feels like. Like he didn't follow up mm -hmm. with folks that he could have very well and reasonably followed. And people call him out, you know, they're like, dude, are you, are you only here? Cause you need me. <laughs> you haven't said anything to me for years. Rafi said something very similar. Mm -hmm. uh, Elnor is pointing it out. Um, and speaking of Elnor, when uh, he and uh, Picard get beamed up just in time, because 
swords don't do what is it blasters no uh disruptors disruptors yeah uh, god i'm trying to remember it's trying to be cute with the han solo quote that's very appropriate <laughs> here of like you know uh kooky I'll weapon take, i'll take a good and... disruptor in a fight any day yeah 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 strange hokey religions don't replace can't be replaced by a good blaster at your side or something that's yeah 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 um and and once they get beamed aboard elner just gets you know reprimanded by picard of like you shouldn't have you shouldn't have killed the guy you didn't have to do that Mm -hmm. without my permission pretty much yeah you know (laughs) that's like that's that's not the way we're gonna do it roll over (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, and we find out, because uh, Girati ends up getting a little bit of a funny moment here, finding out, like, hey, so what? what's the reason by which the, our our journey here is considered worthy? It's like, well, uh, this particular group only binds themselves to a lost cause. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, not exactly the answer she was hoping for. Yeah, it doesn't exactly, you know, pep you up in the morning sort of thing. Um, no. Then we switch over to uh, to Narek, who's asleep and who gets disturbed out of said sleep by his uh, his sister. They have some conversation about, "Hey, what the heck's going on? Like, you need to hurry it up." This this robot uh, talking about Soji, like she's you know she's the uh, the Ichib Yub Yub. <laughs> I forgot what we what we called that. <laughs> Should have written it down. Um, the Web Jizeb. Web uh, she's the destroyer. You need to hurry. He's like, look, I, I know what I'm doing here. We can't push it too hard because if we do, she'll activate, and then we won't learn where the rest of them are, and we won't be able to, to, you know, eliminate them from the universe. Uh, and she full on like chokes him up against the wall and forces him to to really say like, look, what is this thing? You know, this isn't your girlfriend. You're here in a mission. You you need to recognize the seriousness the gravity of, of what's going on here. Yeah. And, and she's also, she raises that same thing we talked about before. Basically says, you know, she may seem like a naive young woman, but she's clearly, she's acting out on a mission here. She's here for a reason. This isn't, you know, she's not an ingenue. She's smart and she's doing stuff that shows she's smart. Yeah. And, and I would guess just given that she's synthetic, one might wonder if subconsciously she's being driven by some, you know, yeah. grand master plan that she may not be aware of, which she's yeah. just a puppet for. Yeah. Um, then um, we get some pew, pew, pew as uh, <laughs> the, the, the old school Romulan bird of prey in all its uh, HD glory uh, attacks mm. La Sirena. And, and Tim, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, since you saw the original run of, of TOS, what were, you, what were your feels when you saw this? <laughs> it was interesting. I, I was the, actually, I think... Um, the Romulan Bird of Prey is, I think, one of the first um, wep- or first alien ships that, that Kirk has um, a battle with in the original series. Like, I don't know if you remember the, the series where the guy who played Sarek uh, plays a Romulan commander, and, and Kirk and him have a sort of Moby Dick chasing each other through... They do, they do like, a, like a cop chase through, on this episode, and, and Kirk's trying to chase them down, and... Um, he ends up destroying their ship, but um, it's a bird of prey that he's chasing, mm-hmm. like in Enterprise, right? Um, so that yeah, that, that goes back always. And um, I do remember when I was a kid, I had a I had a Klingon, um, the Klingon, not the bird of prey. What was the Klingon ship before the bird of prey? Um, I had the one D7? of those models, huh? 
the D seven with the the long skin skinny neck. Yeah, skinny yeah neck. those sort yeah. of like yeah. a triangle body. Yeah. Yep. So I had one of those as a model because I couldn't get an Enterprise one, but um, but I think I might have I might have enjoyed the Bird of Prey uh, one because it had the the Roman Roman eagle on the side as well, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah I have to go back and watch that that episode. I was I wasn't really paying attention. I was I I did notice it was it did definitely look like a Bird of Prey. It was very familiar to me, but but again the the uh, the high res glory kind of threw me off too, right? So. <laughs> And how they laser they laser the wing off too, which is or the nacelle on the side. Yeah, it yeah. it was to my eyes. It it seemed very faithful. Faithful. It it seemed yeah. very similar to the the way the USS Enterprise was shown in Disco, where um, you you can tell the shape is you know the basics are the same, but it's been updated with uh, modern sort of textures that you would put. Yeah. On, on I did notice it CGI. did look a lot bigger than I might have imagined it would be in real life, right? Like, um, I always thought a bird of prey was a sort of small, sort of viper kind of class ship, but in, there's one scene where where it's sort of flying over top of them, and you see in scale how big it is. It's kind of like it looks like it's got a, a round section, which is kind of a, almost not quite as big as the saucer section on the original Star Enterprise, but but you get the impression it's a big ship, right? I've always thought they were much more smaller and agile than that, but um, but that was pretty pretty impressive. Yeah, it, it's it's hard to get a super sense of scale with this relative to other things because we we don't have a great sense of how big La Sirena is. It seems like it's uh, it, it's certainly not like a like a runabout, but uh, it's not as big as even like Voyager and um, the USS Enterprise original one. Uh, you could sort of tell the scale between that and the Romulan bird of prey. Um, but we haven't seen any ship close to the, the hero ship of this series. What was that ship they had on deep, S- deep space nine? That was sort of a smaller ship. The Defiant. 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 Yeah. 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 yeah I, don't, I don't even get the impression it's that big, but uh, no, I think, yeah, I think it's smaller than Defiant for sure, but it's bigger than a shuttle, right? Yeah. Obviously. It'd be interesting mm-hmm. to see if the, at some point they give us some sort of scale for that. Cause yeah, even when it was flying around the bird of prey, it was clearly smaller than the bird of prey but still hard to get a read on exactly the dimensions. Right, and the hero who comes into the scene, which Jaime hasn't got to yet, but that that'll, hero that'll, person... That'll come up, because what we also see is uh, we're collecting them all, right? So there's another yeah. Captain Rios-based hologram. Well, so what, what I was... Oh, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't talking about him, but, but I was just saying about the ships, though, because there's another ship that comes into the battle, and, and it's even smaller than it mm-hmm. seems the... Uh, we'll see but I think it's supposed yeah. to be a one-person ship, right? Obviously smaller. Right, so. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. So uh so Rios pulls up the uh Spanish speaking Emmett as the gunner, so tactical. Maybe an ETH. I don't know if they, they stated that, <laughs> but but it would make sense that a tactical hologram that's uh you know, you fly and I shoot sort of thing and yeah. he doesn't right. seem to do much shooting at first, right? Yeah, I guess it I guess it depends where the weapons are. Like we haven't really seen like like the schematic layout of the, the hero ship to see what it is i mean it it seems more like um you know like a millennium falcon which i think is pretty appropriate given the way they've presented rios to us um it seems more like that sort of class of ship versus being like uh, an arm to the teeth uss defiant or a flying hotel in space like the uss enterprise d mm-hmm. so we'll, there's we'll a lot of unused see. space inside this ship i have to say too it doesn't like i, I find that you know, where they sit in the, on the bridge and that whole sort of back area. Like, what is that about? Like, do they could they not put storage stuff in there? Like, it's like I kind of get the impression that the spaceships would be would be much like 
more confined than these ones tend to be? It's hard to tell with this one. What uh, so we see the the hollow matrix thing, right? The 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 fake Chateau Picard that it can create. We see that there's a lot of holographic crew members, so they probably don't need you know much uh, quarters for for crew. And it's unclear if the rest of that you know volume of body is is for storage, shipping, smuggling. Mm-hmm. Maybe Freight. it's the ball, ballroom or something where they have their big soir- cotillions and stuff. Um, you know, carrying humpback whales, you know, just in case. <laughs> yeah, true. yeah, yeah. <laughs> in case you never know when that'll come up. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, it, it, there's a lot for them to play with, but I, I, I also agree with you, Tim, that it seems a lot more um, cavernous and open, uh, even compared to, to larger ships like the Enterprise D, which was certainly very roomy, but it's, it sort of felt like it was uh, less roomy than this. Uh, what else we got here? Oh, so, yes, so, Tim, you'd mentioned the, uh, the unmarked, uh, you know, small fighter that comes in to help, and they, they laser off the, uh, the nacelle, part of the little wing from the, the bird of prey, and uh, the, the friendly ship is, is damaged, and the pilot needs to be emergency beamed out, and... Uh, Card's like, yep, do it. Uh, just right here. And Elnor, you, you'd be ready to, to stabby stab, right? Okay, cool. They beam the person over and holy smokes. I wrote in the notes here, heads up, seven up. Seven of nine <laughs> has joined the party. Yeah, with a great line too. You, you owe me a ship, ship Picard. <laughs> yeah. 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 Dun dun dun. Dun, dun, dun. dun 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 Yeah, I don't know if you guys see the the previews for next week. Uh, no. I don't know. If, no. I don't think don't you get the it. ready room stuff, so we'll we'll leave that till next time. Yeah. Mm. Well, we can watch the ready room, but we have to use like a, a VPN tool to get the, onto YouTube um, and watch it. So, which is a pain in the butt. Which one? Yeah, I think you covered it off. The only thing you missed, though, is the only one detail you missed uh, yeah. in this entire retelling of of the episode. It was directed by Jonathan Frakes. That's right. At the very beginning, they did, in fact, say Mr. Mr. Jonathan Frakes directed this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, according to the ready room, meant that there was lots of laughing and jovialness because, you know, when Picard and him get together, or Patrick Stewart and him get together, apparently it's mayhem. Yeah. And, you know, that, that actually speaks a lot to the differences in style between... And it's clearly, uh, Star Trek Picard is mm-hmm. uh, modern Trek in mm-hmm. the way it's it's filmed. But the, the style is notably different than Disco. I'm pretty sure it was the Frakes... Uh, one of the Frakes-directed episodes where they did this wild crane shot that was like being like on a roller coaster almost, where they like went around up and around the crew talking about stuff. I can't remember talking about control probably. And, and this is a lot more, uh, sort of yeah. laid back and, and more contemplative when it comes to the way that it's filmed. It's a little bit, a little bit quieter. The episode mm-hmm. you mean? Yeah. I had in my notes, uh, so when there's some good symmetry too. So the first scene, when we flash back to 14 years ago, we see Picard beam down into the middle of this, uh, relocation hub. And he's saying, Jolan True, hello to everybody in Romulan. And everybody's come to see him. And they're really gathering against him. And then they have the scene later on where he beams back down to the planet after being away for 14 years. And obviously, um, they're they're not happy to see him. And 
he does the exact same sort of walk through town and but now he's getting the scorn and the looks and stuff like that it's interesting uh, i like the way they filmed that too the really good symmetry between the two scenes of of where we were and how he was a hero and where we are now where he's a pariah um and I like this, so that during that scene, he's walking through town, you see one of the guys sitting at that Romulan bar uh, tap on his communicator badge uh, to sort of say, hey, we, you'll never guess who I just saw here. And then Rios later on says, uh, you know, or I think it was, it's actually uh, Rafi says, you know, you know, you're, you're trending on Twitter and it's not good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I was thinking that too. It was like, you're, Oh no. <laughs> People are talking snag about Picard is going, going viral and it's not in a good way. Yeah. Hashtag right. delete Picard. Right. So. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so what, uh, what are our takeaways from this one? Again, a little bit of a glue episode. Introducing a new character mm-hmm. and sort of developing the story around him and, uh, you know, his relationship mm-hmm. with Picard and, and his relationship with his skills. Like, how does he get to be such a ninja, ninja good mm-hmm. fighter and, and loner, right? Um, in that he was raised by the nuns who mm-hmm. aren't supposed to have males in their area, right? Um, and that he kind of like, you know never left the nest as it were right so which is kind of weird but uh just finished his training apparently and then of course we were introduced to a, an old character which we all know about but of course she's going to have a different a different tone to her mm-hmm. behavior in episodes coming up i'm sure right yeah i like uh yeah. there was a nice moment there where uh, picard meets with zani the leader of the co-op malat uh and says um you know are you sure you want me to take him? You know, he could die when he goes out there. And she says, you know, yeah, but he hasn't really lived yet. So he's got to go. He's got to go and live his life. Uh, I thought that was a really nice, uh, a nice scene between the two of so them. So I guess he's like 18, 19 now. Because yeah, I would have said he's in his early 14 20s, years. Yeah. He was probably like an eight or 10 year old kid, I guess. Right. But yeah, it's a, he definitely, it's funny because he sort of, you know, you see them as a kid and then they sort of, she sort of says, you know, yeah, he's, he's a badass now. Um, but that, that scene, you get that really, you know, tight scene where Picard's in trouble and he's like, you know, I am here. This is who I am. You don't want to mess with me. And they're like, ah, it's fine. And then, uh, you know, two seconds later, there's, you know, one guy's head sliding off his shoulders, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty quick sense of who this young man is and what he's capable of. I thought that was really uh, eloquently done. Yeah, but I think I think as soon as you saw the conflict going between sure. Picard and, yeah, yeah. and the other Romulans that, that he was going to jump yeah. in and save the day, no, you know. That was coming a mile away. I, I don't know. Would they would, would they have been that blatantly obvious about things what do you mean? in the original series or in The Next Generation? Like, they, they seem, the writing seemed to be a bit more... On the yeah. nose, um, <laughs> yeah. You know, you're you're right. It was it was a little telegraph clever. here, but then I don't know how else you could, you know, like you have to you got to get from point A to point B on some of this stuff too. You know, it's he, a bit like in the Lord of the Rings too. Like he's going in, mm-hmm, you know, or mm-hmm. I guess the Hobbit, where he's going and forming this 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 clan of people who are going to go help him on this mission, right? So, um, I hope, I hope it doesn't turn out to be like your typical trope of of things like that, like, you know, where, <clears throat> you know, the Fellowship of the Ring or, or you know, The Hobbit, where they just steal yeah. sort of plot points yeah. from those, right? I mean, well, and they referenced the Three Musketeers at one point earlier, too, which uh, clearly Elmore right, is right. Uh, enamored by and sort of takes a little bit of a um, pattern yeah. after, too. Yeah. Yeah, so he's the D'Artagnan, I guess, or maybe mm, Picard's mm-hmm. the D'Artagnan. 
Yeah. Um, I like the uh, the other scene that I thought was really cute was that first one between Gerardi and Rios, where she sort of comes in and says, you know, so this is it, huh? This is space. Space is boring. Space turned out to be super <laughs> yeah. boring. And then she too. starts listing off all the mathematical equations for the number of planets and the number of galaxies. <laughs> and she's like, actually, space is kind of the wrong name for it. Shouldn't it just be called vast quantities of stuff? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. She's cute. I, I really like Alison Pill. I really enjoyed mm-hmm. her in a few different shows. Um, yeah, I liked her on the newsroom a lot. And it's, and it's uh, the exen- existential really pain of living and with the Canadian, consciousness of death like and how it defines us as human beings. Oh, thank you. See, I, I tried mightily to to write it down <laughs> when the commercial break comes yeah. up. To what what did I hear? You can you can pause the show and and I could, it. but it you know it it ruins the the, <laughs> the the timing is, and I didn't have time to like watch the episode twice, which maybe I will start oh, okay. doing if I get time. Um, you know, watch it, watch it straight through, and then watch it to take notes. Yeah, I was, I was pause it, and and, and of course, I have the subtitles on because, because you know, I don't like it when people mumble on TV shows. But yeah, and and the, what they say is that uh, you know, when Rafi finds out that they're not going directly to Free Cloud, you know, she finds out he wants to make a stop. She goes, he wants to make a stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, she yeah. gets a lot of good lines, doesn't she? Yeah. So he's got to pick. Yeah, up a I few like the. The, the, same, the same scene where uh, where Mr. Hospitality, the hologram, is showing Picard around the replica of his study. And mm-hmm. uh, when Rios comes into the room, he sort of says, you know, beat it, basically, to the to the hologram. He says, hey, I, I effing hate that guy. He, he sees Rios and just kind <laughs> yeah, of that one disappears into the ether. Yeah. Makes you wonder now. We've seen we've seen four different uh, distinctive holograms with different personalities and... and uh, and voices and everything. I wonder yeah. how many. It's more a bit like hardcore friends. Hardcore friends in mud. That's you know the yeah. the episode at the end where the where um, Kirk curses uh, Mud to have yep. multiple copies of his of his wife. I had a feeling with this episode after we saw how many more of these Rios shaped holograms there were. I it feels like a thing, and I don't know if the thing is. Like normally, the sort of thing like oh, uh, extreme narcissism, but it doesn't seem like it fits this character. And what came to mind is, I wonder if this is some sort of weird, sort of sickness where he's uh, like, are those um, are those accents mapped to people that he lost in whatever tragic event mm. occurred, where his his captain's brains are splattered in the on the bulkhead. Like, are these uh, crewmates that he had? You know, there was one who sounded British and there was one who had a southern accent. And I don't know, something something to keep an eye on because this seems weird now. Yeah, and the fact that he, he's they're cast in his likeness, too. I mean, obviously, we've established that, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. the holograms can be programmed to look like whatever. But um, but it is kind of telling that he only wants the company of himself. Too. And I mean, it did establish that, that he takes yeah. orders or takes directions just like a proper star, star Starfleet officer. Or, yeah. Federation yeah, yeah. lackey would right because she calls him on that too yeah. about making the stop. No, I think uh, this felt like Good this show. felt like you're watching you know puzzle pieces fall into place. Obviously, you know the first few episodes we sort of got the first four characters in place that you know, get on the ship and start heading out. Um, now we've added these next two pieces in Seven of Nine and uh, Elnor. Um, so I think we're there, right? Like as far as we know from the cast list, this is sort of where where we're at. This yep. is the crew. Yep. Um, and now it's it's the mystery of how do they how do they get to uh, figure out where Soji is and right, right. and letting her. Know well, we what, have to 
what she is and have a fun trip to danger. pre-cloud now too right yeah so. yeah oh and we're gonna run into uh dr maddox is it right that's right that's right well that's why they're going to free cloud right yeah, yeah, yeah and he's gonna be all grumpy and upset with picard and because you know he gave him a stick to play with and a book and mm-hmm. left him with his robots yep <laughs> All right, well, I guess we'll tune in next week to find out what happens. Same bat time, same bat channel. Um, So, Doctor Who, somebody wrote on here with a pink highlighter, which must be Jonathan. My dog is acting kind of nutty. Let me go take care of that. I actually didn't see this week's Doctor Who, so I think you guys go ahead and chat about it while I deal with this dog, and I'll be back. No, no, we'll skip. I'll be back. We'll skip. We can skip. Can we skip? Uh, Yeah, I mean, it it was a fine episode. It was nothing special. Mm-hmm. It was it was a Doctor Who episode. Oh, this, the Boogeyman this one, was the, right? The, yeah, the, the yeah, yeah. guy haunts your dreams thing. Yeah, it was fine, but yeah, again, yeah. still, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't get how you sort of go from like canonically important episodes into follow up episodes. We did get a little bit this week of what sh- the Doctor was sort of like. Well, you know, what do I do without them? And there was like a little bit of sort of mm-hmm. sample, seemed like some sort of existential yeah. and some weirdness with their weirdness with their on. friends, like. Mm-hmm. Last year, I've forgotten the name of the the Indian girl. What's her? Jazz. Jazz. Jasminder. Jazz. Jazz. Yeah. So last year, her parents were with her sister, and they were nowhere in to be seen in this episode. Yeah. Kind of weird, right? Were they out shopping at the time? Or yeah. Something? Yeah. They could get them back for and, that episode. Yeah, and then the the um, Ryan is his name. Ryan's best mate. You know, that he's yep. hanging out with. Was he ever in the show before? I, I don't like, recall I don't him. seeing him, but that that's not to say, you know, again, same thing with, uh, yeah, they obviously, um, Graham goes back and is playing cards with his buddies too. We don't know who yeah, exactly, the heck those yeah. guys are. He either, starts to have these weird visions and things. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, again, it, to me, it was just like, yep, that's a Doctor Who episode. It was weird. And there was, you know, uh, weird space aliens who conveniently have British well, accents. And the that, two stars mm-hmm. or two planets colliding with the little thing in between. And that, you know, those yeah. those yeah. kind of, you know, weird paradoxy kind of things are normal in Doctor Who. Right. Um, you know, and it's, I think you, you kind of go from these weird sort of something weird is happening over here. And, you know, these people are like kind of like. The plots are a bit like the original series of Star Trek used to be. Like, you know, they, it, like they were all, there was never any sort of overarching themes. Um, you know, the only time they ever had a built double story was when they did the one around the cage, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, each episode was self-contained and resolved itself within 40 minutes, right? And um, so a Doctor Who is a lot like that. And, like, they have these sort of, you know, um, injustices that the Doctor goes and rectifies, you know, in, in a matter of 40 mm-hmm. minutes. Um, you know, like where people are repressed or whatever, you know. Um, in this case here, it was sort of the discovering woman? that, you know, the <laughs> the boogeyman and the the, um, the Princess Peach. The Princess Peach were, were you know, together in, in, in like, they were... Playing against, I, I, I thought mm-hmm. the the vignette where they tell the story of how these two beings came into being and worked together, that was an interesting little vignette in the middle. Mm-hmm. But yeah, mm-hmm. like you know, last week we, we kind of missed it. Last week they were talking about the microplastics that are in all of us, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and how the plastic is destroying the planet, and it's you know the, this virus <laughs> is attracted to plastic for some reason. Um, maybe it could help clean up the plastic. I don't know, but. Um, you know, so la- so last mm-hmm. week's was a sort of environmental one. Two weeks ago was, or three weeks ago was an environmental one. You know, so they have these sort of, but but then they have these interesting 
characters, like the the, Jidu, the Judoon army was kind of cool, right? Yeah, and it, they may come... In, t- yeah. in typical Doctor Who fashion, too, like, you know, the best part of the Adventures in Time and Space is that you can do anything. That's that's the that's right. the, the absolute winning formula of Doctor Who is you can go anywhere, you can be anywhere. Right. It could be an alien story one week and a horror story the next week, and you can kind of do right. everything. Um, so this week was very, was sort of, you know, a little bit horror-y, a little bit sci-fi-y. Mm-hmm. Um, next week, I think they're going to do a Mary Shelley episode. Um yeah. So well, it's interesting. It's interesting that like so so Matt Smith and and uh, David Tennant and Eccleston and even Capaldi would have would have by now they would have had a Dalek episode. They would have had, although I think the Dalek got eradicated by David Tennant's Doctor. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. or in the day of the Doctor, maybe I'm thinking right. But um, you know, they would have had the the um the Cybermen at some point, although, you know, Bill and the Cybermen kind of, I think Bill kind of ended the Cybermen by becoming a good Cyberman. Right. Um, and then, uh, what else is there? So there, there's like the usual, or oh, the, the screaming angels. Right. Um, this episode was a bit like that. And the master, master, of course. Yeah, and the master. And then the, uh, the, um, the other one is the big, uh, silent guys, the, the, what are they called? The silence or something like that, or the horror, if they have a name, um, Mm-hmm. You know where you don't look, you don't look behind you because if you look behind you you'll see them and they had they have a name in particular but um, you know and then they also have the the those people at uh, it's not MI five or MI six is it oh um, yeah uh, there's like the whole spy thing yeah the, the British with, right? the British uh, secret government yeah. agency yep. people right that they run and yep. then, you know there's the in that one there's like a lizard lady there's yep. a um, I think Jenna Coleman was involved with those guys too right at one point. But, um, you know, so there's a lot of, like, repeat recurring characters, but it seems like this new Doctor seems to want to move away from all that kind of stuff. Although John Barrowman kind of did hint about a Cyberman coming, right? So yeah, and they've already sure. said that. So we, we talked about it, I think, a little bit last week. So there's yeah. 10 episodes this season. This was episode 7. Next week is Mary Shelley. That's 8. And then the week... But it's actually Mary Shelley. You weren't being facetious. Oh, I'm not being facetious. She says, I think I see a Frankenstein <laughs> thing. And yeah, they've already shown in the preview for next week's episode at the end of this oh, week okay. on, uh, on CTV right. Sci-Fi. They showed the teaser that they're, they are, in fact, doing a Mary Shelley episode. So, okay. uh, yeah, next week's sort of a horror thing. And then they've already said that the last two episodes of the season are going to be um, Cybermen-centric and sort of tie back okay, into right. uh, some of the stuff that we got into in episode 5. So... Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. been kind of a quick season and not a, not a terrible season, but also sort of a little bit of an Well, it's a new showrunner, right? Like the last yeah. two years. Yep. Uh, yep. Christian Renault. And yeah, so, I guess it, I guess it's to be expe- expected that there's some changes yeah. and stuff like that. Although, you know, yeah, again, like I don't yeah. think I'll be. And then Jodie Whittaker is, is I think she's starting to own the doctor. I yeah. like her. I, I really do. I find yeah. her very, very charming. Um, she, she, and you're right about the Yorkshire accents. They're great. <laughs> they really are. All of their Yorkshire accents. Are, hers is by far the best. Again, I just, I just want to sit and listen to yeah. her talk. Um, yeah. But yeah, she's, uh, she's been really, really charming. And um, I'm really warming to Graham as a character. I, I, I yeah, sort of yeah. wasn't quite sure what to make of him during his first yeah. season last year. Well, as an actor, he's in the, uh, the Law and Order UK. So mm. he, he mm-hmm. you know, yeah, no, he's a well, fine Jamie actor. Bamber. You remember Jamie Bamber who played um, Starbuck from uh, Battlestar Galactica? No, Starbuck, he, uh, Apollo. Apollo, yeah, he played Apollo. So he, after he after he left um, Battlestar Galactica, he went in, uh, and uh, he was in Law and Order with, and they were partners. They were like the the cops, right? Yeah. Um, 
and again, it was interesting to see the whole, you know, British police for and British uh, penal system or, or uh, judicial system working compared to like how we have it here in Canada, or probably closer to Canada. Yeah, it's, I think it's and how it is in the United States, right? So, so that was an interesting story, and that's where I first saw that uh, that particular actor, right? So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting. I mean. It's Doctor Who. It's always been sort of weird. Yeah, no, and that's again. You're like, I think it's actually a hallmark of the show that some episodes are almost like there can't be right. Like they they can really yeah be, they're ridiculous. They, yeah, they can yeah. be almost nonsensical, yeah. and I don't yeah. think that's like it's, it's quite part different. Of it's... it's quite different than, though than the shows. And I mean, they're closer now. These two doctors are, or last three doctors are closer to Tom Baker and John Pertwee's uh, doctors, right? Yeah. In terms of the ridiculous, you know, plot lines and the fact that they just sort of seem to know everything all the time, you know. Mm-hmm. I did like um, uh, the the doctor had a great line in this most recent episode. She says, uh, you know, I think it's Graham says to him, you know, aren't you supposed to have a plan? And she says, my head is full of plans. I'm just looking, fishing around for the right one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was good. So it was a, a very, yeah. very doctor. So statement. Yes, I, I was a very good threw line. it in the he chat, works, but I guess you, know. you guys didn't see it. I didn't want to interrupt because <laughs> I, I didn't see the episode, so I didn't. Sorry, I hope we didn't hope we didn't spoil too much for you, buddy. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> it was. Uh, I don't think we we didn't spoil very much. We didn't talk. Yeah, about the show no, we were more talking about our overall impressions of the season so far, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So only three more episodes to go. We uh, we got a pre- preview for next week's episode, so it just seems like another sort of episode for a self-contained story, and then and then the two-parter to finish the finish. The, but Jaime's very respectful. Series, so. He does this with Mark and myself because Mark and I will get on the call early. Apparently Siri apparently Siri wanted to weigh in on yeah, this one. So that happens too a lot. But um um Mark and I'll be chatting away on some subject or whatever and then, then we'll then we'll kinda of wonder where Harmony is and he's like, Oh, I've been here the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> you can hear the ding when I come in. in and if you're in the middle of a conversation, yeah, don't I, don't wanna, back and, I don't want to disrupt yeah. it. He's he's like the screaming angels, Jaime is. <laughs> You'll he, have to go he watch who some. lurks in Seattle. You'll have to go watch some vintage Doctor Who to get the gist of that. Those are some of the best episodes. Alrighty, let's let's. So those huh? are some of the best episodes. The, the screaming. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the and the big the big I can't remember what the name of those guys are. The the big tall black. You know, they wear like a tuxedo and mm-hmm, really mm-hmm. sort of alien shaped. Yeah, they're like Slenderman like guys, nine feet yeah. tall. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Slenderman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're kind of creepy too. The horror, I think they're called, or something like that. Anyway, I sense, um, I sense something for next week's yeah, uh, pretty much. Um, all right, so let's uh, let's uh, hit the watch list, shall we? I mean, you're up first. Yeah, this one. Uh, let me set the the mood for you. So we had to wait forever to see the ultimate team up of a movie with Jackie Chan and Jet Li, and we've waited even longer for this next ultimate team up. Jackie Chan and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. <laughs> what? In in the Iron Mask. So in our my my pick of the week for the watch list is the trailer for the Iron Mask, which has um Arnold Schwarzenegger hamming it up as a <laughs> <laughs> as what I assume is like a, a British soldier of some sort. Jackie Chan is involved in kung fu type business there is a lady with a dragon um it's not daenerys this is a chinese style dragon and i have no idea what's going on it is apparently a sequel to a 2014 russian horror fantasy film called the forbidden kingdom aka v or vi 3d or forbidden empire 
So the Iron Mask. Yes, I I, I remember. Yeah, it that. it looks so nutty, and I I think it's worth watching the trailer <laughs> at the very least. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, that's very weird. I can't find this uh, this Doctor Who villain, so we'll move on to Jonathan's thing. All right. Uh, yeah, my pick for this week, uh, something that's sort of been on my radar for a few weeks since it came out. So uh, Netflix has uh, done an adaptation of Lock and Key, which was a, a comic book series uh, from about a decade back um, about a family whose uh, father is murdered. So it's a wife and three kids. Um, the dad is killed and uh, they are forced to move into his uh, family estate in Massachusetts, and they quickly discover that in this uh, in this place that there are these basically d- doors that are portals, and the portals uh, you know take them to different places, but they have to go throughout and find these missing keys. Um, meanwhile, there is obviously a, a nemesis that is trying to uh, stop them as they go through it. Um, I'm, I'm keen. I've, I've seen some of the reviews so far, and they're sort of um, a little sort of back and forth. Some of them seem like uh, positive, and some said, you know, it's not quite as, as fun as the book. But um, either way, I think I, I might check out the first couple episodes and sort of see if it's enough to, to hook me in. But uh, yeah, it's, it looks interesting. A little, a little horror-y, a little sci-fi-y, and um, I think the hope was that this was going to be sort of uh, a new sort of Stranger hmm. Things, get some buzz behind it thing, and that hasn't cool. happened so far. We'll so take a look and see what it's like. So, are you still the, trying to find out your character? Yeah, no, it's the silence. The silence. The silence. Yes, it's the silence. Um, so I, I don't really have a watch list item this week, but I did mention I think on this show or maybe the other show, More Than Just Code, I talked about something I've been watching on. Apple TV, since I've run out of shows on Apple TV um, to watch, um, there are some that I'm just not really interested in, but this one I stumbled across or saw some trailers for and started watching. It's called Little America, and each episode is a story about somebody who um, comes to America and through whatever reason has sort of an interesting story, and uh, they're all based on true stories. So um, the first one's about a, a little a little kid who is with his parents, and they run a motel, and uh, the parents get de- he's I'm not sure if he's born in America or whatever, but his parents are deported back to India, and they have to go and reapply to come back to the United States, which is happens a lot but they leave the little kid as like you know like a 10 year old kid running the motel oh i've seen the trailer for this this so he he basically yeah so he runs the motel for until his parents come back as an adult so yeah so it's it's funny it's sort of a home alone two kind of things they leave him with a friend who who really couldn't care about running the motel but the kid you know um goes through sort of a bit of a bit of adventure ends up they still run the motel and his parents do come back eventually right um, another episode is about a, a young um, uh, African man who ends up, uh, he's in a college or a university, and um, he's kind of annoying, and the, the professor, you know, of the class, you know, he's intelligent, he's one of the most intelligent people in the class, but he's he's just an odd duck, doesn't fit in. This is somewhere in, in the South, right? And uh, so he sees one of the cool students with, you know, big 10-gallon hat and uh, boots and uh he decides he, you know, he needs. He, he's told by somebody he needs to sort of try and fit in, right? So he goes and gets himself a cowboy hat and boots and stuff like that, and and uh, sort of uh, ends up, um, you know, uh, getting a getting getting the position he wants to get. He's trying to apply for a TA position with this professor, 
Um, so that's an interesting story. Fun, fun sort of story how they, how he tells, you know, how he relates to his family and stuff like that. Um, sort of all in his head sort of thing. But, uh, he, you know, he communicates with his, with his family at home. His plan was to go back, you know, make some money and then go back home and, and help the family run the family business. But, you know, of course it's Africa that falls apart. Right. Um, and the last one I just watched was a really interesting one about a woman in a commune, um, who come, you know, one of those things where you go and you, there's like a, a Zen Buddhist leader and, you know, they're in this, this commune for a week or two and they can't say a word. Right. And it's all about how she's, you know, sort of like probably feeling like the rest of us and just not quite fitting into this whole sort of sitting there and meditating for four hours at a time kind of thing, right? Not saying a word to people. And, you know, uh, there's a lot of interest in that story and all that kind of stuff. So that, that's a fun story. But so they're they're kind of catchy, um, you know, internationally kind of flavored stories. So I'm not sure. There's probably like eight or ten of them, I guess. So I'm just working my way through them. They're pretty interesting and they're called Little America. It's a, the, the whole thing's an anthology. Yes, right? exactly. Yes, yeah, so little, little different stories and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, you know, a typical, you cool. know, Apple. I, I don't know if it's typical Apple, but it's sort of Apple, sort of a very flavorish to it. You know, there, there's nothing, there's no pew pew and all that kind of stuff, but still, they're hmm. interesting stories. Alrighty, well, I guess that's it for another week. So, Jonathan, if people want to get in touch with you, where would they go? Uh, I'm on Instagram and on Twitter as at JPG News. All right, and Jaime, if people want to get t- get in touch with you. I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. Alrighty, and my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, on the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. So until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. You've been listening to the Spotcast Podcast. This is John Luke Picard. Shut up, Wesley. Sorry, say again. Just the tag. Gotcha. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spotcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotcast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash Spotcast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. says live long and prosper come on <laughs> <laughs> live long and yeah. try and keep your head on your shoulders kids yeah keep your head on your shoulders exactly yep i regret your decision <laughs> you may regret your decision yes that's the story of story of many people's <laughs> lives all righty well i guess that's it that's it so cool beans till yeah. next time yeah i think who's up next time i guess it would the, be me the notes i forgot the order you Cool. Take copious notes. I'll, I'll try to do the same to fill in color commentary. Is, oh, somebody, somebody chatting with me? I didn't see a chat here. Oh, everybody back. Oh, that's you. Okay, sorry. I wasn't looking at the screen. All righty. All right. Talk to you later. You guys. Bye. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.